Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to you. I'm enjoying it with you. If you have your Bibles with you today, and I certainly hope that you do, please turn to the Old Testament to Judges chapter 4. I'm going to be reading all of these verses. It's rather long, so please bear with me. Please follow along because nothing I have to say is really all that important, but reading the Word is extremely and most important. So Judges chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Hear now God's reading, or hear now the reading of God's Word. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagaim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troop, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told by, that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Hagiyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagiyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. The Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. 
And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes to you and says, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that we have your word and we particularly give thanks, Father, for the stories that you've included there because they show us the way that you dealt with your people in past days. And we know, Father, in some sense you deal with us in the same way today. And so help us, Father, that we might understand your word aright. Do give us the mind of Christ as we read and do bless us, Father, as we seek to obey. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's summertime. Summertime means baseball to me. And believe it or not, I played Little League Baseball many, many years ago. And when I was 10 years old, I played on this Little League Baseball team. And we were very, very sharply dressed. We had these orange uniforms with black trim. And that's important because orange is my wife's favorite color. But I also liked it back then, and we not only looked good, we played well. We were in second place in uh, that year, and we beat most everybody that we played, but there was one team that we had trouble with. They were called Monroe Police Department. And uh, the reason for that was because they were sponsored by the city of Monroe's police department, and one of their sergeants was the coach of that team, Mr. Woodlow. And they were very, very good that year, and we never could beat them. I wanted to beat those guys so bad because one of my very best friends was on that team, and they always won, and it made me mad, and I wanted to put him down because he was on that team. I really did like him, but I wanted to beat him at the same time, but we never could because they always had our number. They were always best. And it was somewhat like that for Israel in the days of the judges, people or enemies that had chariots always seemed leading up to this story to have Israel's number and they never could beat them. Well, last time Ehud delivered Israel from the oppression of the Moabites. That started out with him assassinating the king of Moab. And then he called out the people of Israel and they defeated them. And the land had peace for 80 years after that for Israel. But then Ehud died and Israel reverted to their old ways. They began to sin against uh, the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says in the text. And so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, one of the Canaanite kings. And Jabin lived in about 10 miles due north of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Hazar. And his general Sisera did not live in the same place, but he lived about 40 or 50 miles away, close to the coast of Israel, that is, the western coast. 
He lived at the foot of Mount Carmel, and the Valley of Jezreel ran all the way across Israel there. And so it was very easy for him and his chariots to really control the warfare that was going on there because of the open and flat grain. The chariots during that time were sort of like the tanks of our, our day and all Israel had to fight against was the equivalent of rifles and shotguns against tanks. So it was really a terrifying weapon to them and uh, according to the technology that they have, it was impossible for Israel to defeat people who came against them with chariots. In their distant past, they had been able to overcome people with chariots. Remember, Pharaoh had chariots at the Red Sea, but they were able to overcome them. And then also when Joshua started into the Promised Land, he was able in Joshua chapter 11 to overcome the Canaanites whom he faced who had uh, chariots. But after Joshua, since they had entered the promised land, they were defeated when this adversary faced them with chariots. Even the faithful tribe Judah, who defeated everyone else as they moved through the promised land, was not able to overcome the chariots they faced in chapter 1, verse 19 of Judges. And so this record in the promised land campaign in chapter 4, Israel again faced yet another oppressing opponent who had this technology. And Sisera's chariots could catch the Israelites out in the broad open plain of Jezreel and just sort of mow them down. They were a great weapon in the ancient Near East and it greatly intimidated the Israelites. And so from their perspective, to go out and open warfare in a place where chariots could be used, it was sheer suicide to face an enemy like that. That is, if the Lord didn't help them. And Sisera's and Jabin's army oppressed Israel for 20 years, the text says to us. And then Deborah, the prophetess, judged Israel during this time. And Deborah is the only woman in the Bible to hold the office of judge. And so she's in a very unique position. And since we live in the New Covenant and we're familiar with the New Testament, this might kind of strike us as sort of strange because we know that in the New Testament, it teaches us that women are not supposed to hold the place of leadership over God's people uh, and have a position such as this as a judge in the church. But remember that a judge was not just someone who officiated in court trials like we're used to, but they also ruled like a civil ruler. They were like kings, except they didn't rule over the whole country. They ruled over portions of the country. Usually, even though the text says all Israel, it means over all Israel in that part of Israel. Samson, for example, was a judge in the southwestern part of Israel. And so, uh, the people reverted to doing evil because the judge, Ehud, had died and was not around to stop the people from sinning. That was part of the responsibility. Not only did they hold court, as Deborah was apparently doing, they were supposed to lead the people in the Lord's ways. And so when they didn't lead the people in the Lord's ways, they turned back to rebelling against the Lord. 
However, women could hold the office of prophetess, and there are many women in the Bible who do hold this office, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but not a ruling office like judge, except for women who were queens, but who were also under the authority of their husbands. So they had very limited authority there. And there are those in our day who want to use Deborah to prove that it's okay for a woman to be elders and ministers in God's church during our time. The reason that if it was okay for a woman to hold such an office back then, why would it be wrong for a woman to hold such an office now? Well, the reason for that is because the New Testament clearly teaches us in a better passage, which I'll explain in just a moment, that women are not supposed to hold an office like that. Specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was first formed, and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so this teaches us that women are not supposed to exercise authority over men. And therefore, which one of these passages do you think is the most clear? Well, the one in the New Testament is obviously the most clear because it applies to the new covenant in which we lead. But there's another reason. It is a didactic passage. Judges chapter 4 is a historical narrative. And it's not that what it says is not true. It is certainly true. It's inspired and inerrant. All of the Bible is inspired and inerrant. But it does not mean that God always approves of what he reports in the word. It's certainly true that Deborah was a judge in Israel. Does that mean that he approved of Deborah being a judge? Now, before I go on, I don't want anybody going out of here saying, well, Ken said Deborah shouldn't have been a judge. I'm not saying that. Everything in this passage indicates that Deborah was a faithful woman and that God approved of what she was doing. And so when it conflicts with something else that the Bible teaches, you have to harmonize those things in a certain way. Maybe there were things going on in Judges chapter 4 that the Lord didn't approve of and he didn't give them a man to be a judge over them. In fact, if we read through the rest of the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, there is a passage that indicates that God does not approve of women rulers. Where does it teach that, Ken? Glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 3. Now, that's a very long passage, and because of time today, I'm not going to be able to explain all of it. But in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, it says, My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your past. And what the Lord is saying there is he's criticizing them because, they're, because women are ruling over them. And that's a judgment on them because in the prior part of that passage, the Lord is telling them, because you've sinned against me, I'm going to take away all these blessings from you. And one of those blessings one is going to be you're not going to have men rule over you, not the kind of men that they should be anyway. You're going to have women over you. Does, does that sound like God approves, even in the Old Testament, of women ruling over them? And so God does not always support what he reports in the Bible. It is true, as I said, that Judges chapter 4 indicates that Deborah was a judge. Does that mean that God wanted it to be that way? Or was it because the people of Israel were rebelling and this was God's judgment on them? 
That was certainly the case in Isaiah chapter 3. Is that reading too much into Judges chapter 4? That God could not find a man that he could trust with the leadership of Israel. And so as a judgment on them, he gave them a woman. A faithful woman, but nevertheless a woman. And therefore, God was not completely satisfied with the choice that he made for leadership there. Not that any of this indicates that Deborah was an evil woman, nor even that God disapproved of her as a judge. But compared to Barak, who follows, it may have been that there weren't any faithful men in Israel that the Lord could trust with governing his people. And Deborah was the most spiritually mature person for that job. But the norm that we find in the Bible that God's plan is for men and not women to lead God's people where men are being governed. So how does this apply to me? Well, don't use historical narrative passages when they're contradicted by other passages, especially when they're clearer in the Bible as it is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And don't use Deborah as an excuse to have women as officers in the church because this is disobedience to what the Lord tells us that we should do in a passage that's clearer. Deborah sent for Barak and told him God's strategy, and one would think that Barak was just overjoyed that the Lord was going to support him and he was going to lead the troops. He was going to become a hero in Israel, a national hero, and he was going to live happily ever after that, and they were going to have peace. You'd think he'd be dancing in the streets because of the promise of God to him through the Lord's prophetess. But Barak responded with a condition. He would not go unless Deborah went with him. Why? Well, maybe Barak was just a little bit afraid. And he wanted some assurance of having this spiritually mature woman who was God's spokesperson to lead them into battle would give him a little more confidence, give the army a little more confidence that uh, they uh, were going to really have the victory. But that doesn't seem to be the reason uh, that motivated Barak because he gets rebuked for this motivation. And the reason I say that is you have that circumstance in chapter 6 with Gideon. Gideon is timid. He's not willing to go when God promises him victory over Israel's enemies. But he doesn't get rebuked when he acts that way. But Barak does. So it was not merely the fact that Barak was timid. He was asking Deborah to come along because he was challenging her. He wanted, he doubted the prophecy that she gave to him that the Lord would be with him. And he wanted Deborah to come along and risk her life along with the men that were going into battle because he realized that they were going to assemble up on Mount Tabor and Sisera with his 900 chariots could surround the mountain, cut off all avenues of escape, and then everybody would be annihilated. If he was going to have to suffer that, he wanted her to be there because she's the one that told him to go do it. Now, I admit, we don't clearly know what Barak's motivation was, but he got rebuked. And we see that his faith is not exactly what it should have been. And as we read this narrative, some confusion pops up in our mind for who's supposed to be the judge here? Is it supposed to be Deborah, as it clearly says that she is, or is it supposed to be Barak? 
So the Bible does explicitly say that Deborah was judging Israel before Barak's call, and Barak is never called a judge in the Bible. But he was clearly in the main role of deliverer, which is what a judge was supposed to do. And when we read about other judges, uh, like those in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, Barak is listed with the other judges, but Deborah is not listed. And also, this is true where there's another listing of judges in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. In fact, Deborah is not mentioned again in the Bible outside of Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. And further, some of the typical terminology associated with a judge is not applied to Deborah. For example, in the opening verses, it does not say that the Lord raised up Deborah to be a judge and lead his people, as it does in the earlier chapters about Othniel and about Ehud. And further than that, uh, it, it, at the end of chapter 5, it does not say that De- uh, Deborah judged Israel for so many years as it does in later chapters about some of the other judges. And Nor does it report that she was a deliverer or a savior of Israel as it does the previous judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. So there's a certain amount of ambiguity here. Perhaps because of Barak's lack of faith and Deborah's faithfulness, they were both judges. Probably, or more likely, we could say that Deborah was the judge, but Barak was the deliverer in the sense that he led the troops into battle. But because the man who should perhaps have been judge is unfaithful, which we see in Barak's case, he must share his role with a woman. And so there's a step down in male leadership at this point among the judges. You remember the first time I preached on Judges is one of these scenes that we see in the cycle of the Judges beginning in chapter 3 is the Judges get worse and worse as you go through. They were faithful men in some ways. I mean, they're listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But sometimes there's some chinks in their armor. And those chinks get worse as you go through the book of Judges. But even though Deborah promised to meet Barak's demand, she rebuked him for his faithfulness, predicting that a woman would get the glory of the victory. Now, that alone should tell you that God does not want women in control of his church. It it was an insult to Barak that a woman was going to get the glory for the battle that he fought because women weren't supposed to get that, that kind of accolade. Okay, So that's another piece of evidence indicating what we're going to find out a lot more clearly from the verses that I've already mentioned. Well, Barak's unwillingness to believe God's word through the prophetess serves, serves as a lesson to us. His demand for a tangible guarantee of God's word and victory in order to believe and obey is not uncharacteristic of many believers today. Now, God doesn't ask us to attack our Canaanite neighbors and wipe them out, but he does tell us other things that are more pertinent to our day. He makes promises to us like to provide for our physical needs. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
And when we don't believe him, we don't trust in those promises, and then we seek by sinful means to accomplish what God has promised to do for us, then we're acting like Barak. We're not trusting in the promises of God. And so we should not test God in unbelief as Barak did, lest we reap the consequences of our folly. Instead, we must trust God for his sure and precious promises which were given to us today in his word. And today is Father's Day. And men, you want to know how to be a real man? Be a real man by believing God. Believing his promises with all of your frailties and weaknesses like I have. But there is a consistency in your life that you seek to obey the Lord. And even though you sin regularly, maybe even every day you go before the Lord and you forget, you repent of those things. And you turn in faith to seek to obey God today. And that's being a real man and a real father and leading your family in that endeavor. Then in verses 10 through 11, Barak called together the Israelites of the region. When you assemble that many people together, the enemy is always going to find it out because they have spies around to inform of them. And so Sisera got his army together and called out his 900 chariots, and he traveled eastward along the Kishon River to a position southwest of Mount Tabar where Barak and his army were assembled. And at this point, Deborah encouraged Barak to attack because she said the Lord had gone out in front of him to fight for Israel. And so Barak and his army went down from Mount Tabar and met Sisera's forces who were then routed before him and the Lord. And whatever weakness Barak has demonstrated up to this point, whatever lack of faith that he might have had, he now throws that off. And he was a faithful man at this point, leading the Israelites, and they killed every single Canaanite soldier with the exception of Sisera. Sisera got down and ran away, fled back to his home close to the west coast of uh, Palestine. And he met a lady named Jael, who came out to meet him, who he thought was a friend, and she took him into her tent. And there she killed him by stealth. And so it shows that she uh, was really on the Israelite side. And she did a good thing. She was fighting the Lord's battles along with the Israelites, which we find not openly as we see this in this part of the story. But next time in chapter 5, she receives praises, which God willing will get to in the future. And so the real hero, though, in this story was the Lord because the Lord promised to draw out Sisera and his army against Israel in verse 7. And in verse 14, it says he went out before Barak and his army, leading the charge and routing the enemy in verse 15. And uh, again, we'll talk more about how the Lord did this in chapter 5. It does not give us all the details in chapter 4. It merely reports that he did defeat the army and as Brock and his men just sort of reaped the benefits to be sure the Lord won the battle for them but the Lord simply made it possible for them to go in and just sort of reap the benefits they still had to kill the enemy soldiers but the Lord was the one that gave them the circumstances and the power to be able to do so well, what do we learn about our relationship with the Lord from Judges chapter 4 
Well, it seems obvious that the Lord will prepare the way before us when we do his work. After all, this was his promise in the Great Commission where the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus is the head of his church and even of all creation. And he promises that he will always be with us in the work that he has commanded us to do. But we are to participate with him in that work. We cannot expect him to go out and do the work for him. We are his hands and his feet and his head. And we are the ones through whom uh, instruments that he will use to accomplish what he commands us. And so as we seek to make disciples here, I think that we can depend upon the Lord to convert people through our witness. But we have to do the witnessing. Further, where there are people with willing hearts to learn, the Lord can be counted on to provide good teachers and preachers to further support the disciple-making process. But we are the ones that have to do the teaching and the preaching. And as we contemplate our resources, the Lord will provide the finances that we need for the ministries that are planned. But we are the ones that have to do the giving. And so even though Israel rebelled against the Lord, he did not give up on his people. He once again raised up a deliverer to lead them, and he gave them the circumstances, giving them the victory. In fact, he worked so that they would have the victory. And even though the results may come with difficulty at times, like the hardship of warfare, the Lord's blessing will come to pass and we will prevail in our labors for us because the Lord is with us today just as he was with them. That was not just some story in antiquity. It is a lesson for God's people to learn today. And God will bless our efforts, not every time, There won't be victory every day. It won't be a rose garden. But over the course of the life of our lives and the life of this church, there will be victory. And the Lord will give it to us if we will obey him. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for stories like this that are in the Bible because while they scare us because they're things that we're not used to with warfare, Uh, And because the nature of your covenant today is somewhat less, nevertheless, there are lessons for us to learn from it, Father, and we pray that you would help us to learn those lessons well. We pray that you would help us to draw a little more closely to you in devotion and love in this week because of it. We pray that you would encourage us and embolden us to do the work that you have commanded us to do. And we ask it all, Father, giving thanks for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen.